Right, okay. Uh, this week, again, a bit different from usual programming. We are um, going to give you part one of series highlights. Yes. I'm um, standing here with Matt and David standing far away in the distance. He's gave everyone a wave, which is good for the audio experience. Oh, and, I, I hope you could hear that wave. <laughs> I obviously feels like he's incriminated himself enough in this medium, so he's decided to take a take of distance, which is smart. Wish we had done the same. Um, so... We're going to give you highlights from the first uh, part of the series, things that we like, which we think deserve more airtime, um, give ourselves even more uh, the, the flames of our reputation to get some more oxygen. So let's talk about um, the first few bits of uh, stuff we, we yep. want to kind of highlight, Matt. So first things first was um, you uh, sustaining a serious podcast injury. Yeah, it was a strong start to make. I'm surprised I came back after that, to be honest. Yeah, that was early on in recording. We should have probably just chucked it at that point, to be honest. Um, So we'll give you... You'll hear that coming up, and we'll also give you some factual goodness about uh, the history of Cranachs in Scotland. quite interesting stuff. Yeah, the the, the homes that people lived in, the floating homes uh, around Loch Lomond and other areas of Scotland. And uh, a little bit more history from um, that early episode... Um, about the Romans and uh, how the um, how the English fared against them. So hope you enjoy this content, and then we'll come we'll come back with more. So hope you enjoy these highlights, and um, we'll do another round of these for uh, the second um, uh, part of the series, and um, you'll get another episode from us next week. Um, hopefully, we'll be uh, that'll be on. Uh, industrial history on the yes, that's area. What we've got. I suppose that back in my day we've called that. Yep, it's in the bank. So you've got to look forward to anyway. Enjoy these highlights. From that um, burial site as well, which has claimed many a victim. Yeah, so um, Matt and I uh, will we'll shared some pictures uh, if we haven't already. But um, you know, uh, there's a, a, quite a interesting uh, Neolithic burial site, um, which is contains uh, the remains of a kist, which. Um, Basically, they were used to sort of... It was like a lot, like a kind of, not, maybe not mass grave, but kind of like a, you know, like a, a community burial site. Yeah, bodies, I think, were built, sort of buried in columns, weren't they? In these sort of kists. So there's one, the remains of one uh, kind of uh, near Carman Hill, uh, near uh, between... Kind of up the back of Cardus. So if you're going over the Carman Hill, it's um, on the road, kind of one of the fields to the left-hand side about halfway over eh, as you're kind of going through a wooded part of the road. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about another site uh, nearby there later, but from, from later on, uh, a later period. But yeah, so there's a burial site around there and, you know, um, we did actually record before this um, and uh, we kind of... Uh, one of us, There was almost a fatality on one of the first recording sessions we had, which is not something, but, you know... Like they say, Matt, podcasting is a dangerous game. Uh, yes, I've heard that quote many times. Yeah. <laughs> Famously, you know, kind of like war reporting, I guess, you know, when you're talking about visiting these sites and, uh, you know, Matt almost lost his hand in, uh, you know, an acrobatic lunge over a barbed wire fence. Would you like to break it down? Not my most intelligent move. 
I mean, it was a, a real struggle to actually get there. There wasn't any, no real diet, like, try to look online to see if there was maybe some kind of directions to get there, but we ended up having to find it on a map and then Johnny, um got the coordinates into Google Maps and kind of worked out from there, but um, it's got a lot of effort to get there, hopping through a field. Not much reward for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Reward was a, a trip to the hostel on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, so let's put this into more, even more colourful context. So basically, uh, Matt sliced his hand open in the trip back from this in, uh, impressive uh, burial site. And um, uh, to control the, the blood flow, I guess, you were holding your hand up as if you wanted to ask a question in class. <laughs> yeah, well, so I did, um, you fortunately had some plasters and a bit of tape, so wrapped uh, some tape around my hand to stop it bleeding, which... Um, was uh, very beneficial because I don't really like blood, especially when it's coming out of me. Um, so yes, I just to kind of, I got very sore shoulders. I well, a very sore shoulder after about ten minutes. Um, so yeah, kind of jumped over the fence. I think I kind of fell back into it and caught my hand on it. There was like a wee graze and then like a bigger cut next to it. I saw the graze. I turned away and all I heard was, "Oh fuck!" I, I Johnny was about, or I was about to say, "Oh Johnny, it's alright, it's a wee graze," and then just saw blood pouring out my hand. Like, oh, God, I can't really deal with this. Listen, this game is not for everyone, OK? Just leave it to the pros. Uh, that's what I would say. Um, you know, we've, we, we can take the, the cuts and gashes. So, yeah, basically, we walked back to uh, where we parked and, um, you know, Matt was just had his hand held up the whole time for passers-by to kind of look at quizzically. Um, yes, um, and then I'd, Well, I'd driven over, so I had to phone Gianluca's mum to come and get us, like, a couple of silly little boys. Uh-huh, yeah, so just guys in their late 20s just getting lists from their mum to Amy um, <laughs> on, a on a Sunday afternoon when they went out for a walk. So another kind of uh, quite impressive feature of this uh, era, well, it really began in this era, was um, the Cranach. Um Can you describe a Cranach? So it's um, a man, essentially a man-made island, built up from the the water. Um, I think can't confirm, but I feel it's probably been like wooden beams kind of holding the actual building up. Um, so these were used kind of um, for many different purposes, um, used as forts, again, kind of like as a, kind of commune, um, and, um, yeah, so mainly a kind of wooden water building, which I feel like would now be worth an absolute fortune if you had one of them in Loch Lomond. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely getting made into some sort of luxury cabin, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, some kind of Airbnb glamping kind of thing. Yeah, I love a glamp. Um, so yeah, I mean, usually, um, yeah, and today, you know, the choice of a sort of small islet as a home, you know, it might seem a bit odd, but waterways were the main channels for both communication and travel. Actually, up until you know the nineteenth century, much of Ireland and especially Highland Scotland, so you know, they're, they're typically sort of interpreted these simple prehistoric farmsteads but also as bolt holes, which I quite like the, the word, uh, in times of danger, and also status symbols um, with limited access and, you know, as inherited locations of power that implied a sense of legitimacy and ancestry um, towards ownership of this, of a surrounding landscape. Um, you know, and also one of the things to mention, I think, is that, you know, they were kind of built out of anything, I think, as well. And, you know, I think wooden in terms of the structures at the top, obviously, but, you know, settled on any kind of, like, um, reclaimed, you know, rock or, or, or mud, you know, or something like that. Just making do with whatever 
I don't really think they'd be particularly specific, or like fussy at these or that period of time. This is be- before the time of um, what's that? What's that kind of UNESCO stuff they do with the food? You know, you need to make it a certain way, like like Parmigiano. All oh, right, I kind of like um, I know what you're talking about. It's the same like um, Scotch whisky and things like it needs. Yeah, as you say, it needs to be made in a, a specific way. For some reason, the wind has now changed direction and the, the current umbrella setup <laughs> is no longer quite uh, sufficient. The umbrella is just a really... Um, we're fighting against a, a proverbial wave here. It's, um, uh, but here we go. We, we, we go on. Andiamo. Um, so, yeah, actually one popular sort of historical Kranig site is at um, Kenmore and Loch Tay. Um, now, this was a regenerated 2,500-year-old Kranig um, in nearby Loch Tay. Um, and it was a museum including local artefacts, but it was unfortunately destroyed in a fire as we record last year in July 2021. Or sorry, in, in 2021. Um, but thankfully it's under regeneration again, so hopefully um, ourselves and, and you can go visit that uh, soon, because that will be quite an incredible monument to, to actually step and st- after the Iron Age came the Romans. Um, so the popular Roman invasion of Britain began in 55 BC with Caesar. Um, opinions on Caesar? No. It's all right. There you go. Not, but, not the best, not the worst. A bit like all of us, really. Yeah, what in common with Julius Caesar. Um, so occupation and eventual imperial establishment of the Romans lasted in Britain from 48, uh, 43 AD sorry, to 410 AD. Um, and that, when, you know, at that point, at the end, military focus was shifted from Britain largely to tackle sort of problems closer to the border, um, you know, namely Germanic tribes, those troublesome guys and girls. They were certainly at it, weren't they? they really were. Um, bit of a nuisance, by all accounts. Um, you know, while the Romans slapped about the English, they did have a slightly rougher time of it in Scotland, didn't they, Matt? Uh, yeah, so the... They didn't get very far, did they? Um, so they shat it. The the technical term they did they shat it. Um, yeah, so I think they basically they kind of got to roughly where we are just now going. Um, so the Antonine Wall built from basically the fourth across straight across the country to the um, the Clyde. So you're still, to use the, the technical term, they did, they shot it. Um, yeah, so I think... Yeah, and fun fact, um, I remember from doing history um, at uni for a wee bit, uh, um, a lot of scholars from that era, of Roman looking at European scholars, they believed that um, actually Britain was sort of cut in half by a gigantic, one gigantic river, which was, um, you know, we now kind of recognise as the sort of landscape around the fourth Clyde line, which is where the Antonine Wall, we'll talk about in a second, was built. Um, so, yeah, they, that's kind of as far north as they got, really. And that, you know, in this area, we're, we're talking, um, you know, and, and where are we talking in this area, of that, that kind of line, Matt? Um, so from Clyde Bank, there's, there's you know, that's mentioned uh, quite a bit when we talk about the Antonine Wall, mm-hmm. but towards, I guess, further towards Dumbarton. And yeah, so I think the ends of, well, there's still... There's not really that many remains left of the Antonine Wall. One of the reasons that it's not as popular as Hadrian's Wall. But, um, yeah, I think closest to here is probably somewhere like uh, Patrick, um that kind of, that area.
And also, uh, another thing we wanted to highlight, Matt, was um, uh, from our episode on the hills. Yes. The, the Munros, the Grahams, the Corbetts, the things that we couldn't get in the right order. But we do now know. We do now. You do now know. Uh, and from that episode, uh, you'll hear us talk a bit about the freedom to roam and the history of that law, which is quite interesting because it's a unique thing that Scotland has, the freedom to roam. And uh, you'll also hear a bit more about the radical history of Bothies. Yes. Um, Did you know anything about that beforehand? I think so. I came across that quite randomly, but I was quite proud of myself. I felt like a proper uh, content producer when I uh, I was actually contributing something to society, which I don't usually feel like. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, And uh, yeah, we have some more stuff for you also. Um, So we actually have quite a lot to talk about still. We have... uh, Let's start with some uh, general advice now If you're thinking about coming out here and doing stuff um, We'll actually talk a little bit about the freedom to roam um, Because that's that's quite um, a unique characteristic of this area And to Scotland in general um, Can you describe briefly, can I summarise what the freedom to roam is, Matt? Basically, you've got the right to roam Almost whenever you'd like Without like some sensible exceptions apart from that. Yeah. But farmland, you yeah. pointed out you cannot in fact go into someone's house and demand, 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 demand a cup of coffee. Food and beverages from them. Uh, that's something that's really important to remember. Don't fall into that trap. We've all we've all done it. Um, <laughs> I did once walk into an old woman's kitchen and demand an empire biscuit and How did that go? She, I think she might. She gave me a custard, a custard cream, and I wasn't very happy. Custard so sun. you need to really measure the expectations when you're doing this kind yeah. of thing. Um, so the freedom to roam is part of the kind of land reform act, which was introduced in 2003, and it gives everyone rights of access over land and inland water throughout Scotland, subject to specific exclusions. Blah 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 blah. Um, this is not the case elsewhere in the UK. So in England, you know. If you're walking across a field and uh, your, you know, dog gets snipered by a farmer, then... That's <laughs> totally legit. You get no complaints whatsoever. You can't complain. can't complain. Um, or if you get shouted at by a farmer, is a more kind of um, mundane example, but... Depends where you are. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously, you know, even if you're walking across farmland, again, in Scotland, you, you kind of want to be careful, you know, just being respectful of everyone. But the freedom of Rome does give you... Gives you an element that people trust and accountability um, when it comes to wild camping and just walking across the country. But you do get a lot of freedom to explore, which is fantastic. Um, you don't really have to worry about too many things about private paths and whatnot. Um, so, you know, th- this has actually got a very long and interesting history. Um, after what past people. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a long and interesting history when it comes to the freedom to roam in Scotland. Um, so before 2003, uh, you know, there was kind of an understanding between landowners and walkers. At that point, the culture of hill walking had been kind of promoted by people like Tom Weir and it was possible to go around. But, you know, the fact that, you know, in Scotland, around half of the country is owned by only around 500 people, which is mental. So that would mean that, you know, private trespassing would have been hard not to do basically Um, so yeah it's a lot of the country would have been out of bounds really realistically uh, for walkers Um, so yeah where specifically can't you roam we've kind of covered that uh, a little bit as well but yeah you know private places such as construction sites and quarries let's not start walking at the quarries yeah well I mean that's just again kind of common sense common sense yeah alright 
Um, busy path this for podcast, isn't it? Yeah. It seemed like a good idea when we started. It was nice and quiet, but <laughs> yeah. in that twenty minutes or so, it's been um, all sorts. Um, so, yeah, uh, as as travelness.com which is quite a useful resource for this, says generally common sense prevails when it comes to freedom to roam. Um, but as I said, the history is really interesting of the of the law itself and it can be linked back really to the birth of Boffy culture. Um, Matt, what, what is a Boffy, generally speaking? An unmanned kind of... Some of you can stay overnight, so it's basically like a very basic um, small building, usually with a fire in it, maybe some kind of... Now they'd maybe have a smallish kitchen and then yeah, a sleeping area um, so yeah unmanned you don't really tend to have to pay for them they're just kind of there yeah. and um, traditionally sort of based in the sort of mountains of Scotland yeah right? it's like slightly more um, remote areas where yeah. you know um, there is no option but to yeah s- stay there and um, you know um, it's somewhere between maybe a tent and a glamping pod for all you modernists out there uh, it's a good way to describe it as well. Here we are, trying to cross back across this path. Matt has done so expertly. I'm struggling a wee bit. There we go. Um, all right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, do you know how, how these boffies came about? Really interesting because it links all the way back. It has a bit of a kind of, if you're into your sort of um, socialist takes on history, this is a good one. Um, because it links back to sort of the Highland Clearances, and if any of you don't know about that, basically the land ruling elite in Scotland in the 17 and 1800s essentially just told everyone who lived there, all the crofters, the farmers in the Highlands of Scotland, to just fuck off, basically. So were they looking to, they were wanting to use the land for animals as a Sheep farming. Yeah, I guess. And that, that requires a lot of land, and it doesn't require many people. <laughs> Um, so they were getting more money off of that than they were from people living on the land yes. and, and having their own small crofting farms. So basically, people like Lord Sutherland, uh, who are, you know, you can actually, um, interestingly, one of our favourite bars in, in Glasgow, the Lismore, is, oh, yes. is uh, the urinals are um, covered in the names of, of these <laughs> landowning elite. So you can actually piss on their memory, which is quite an interesting feature, isn't it? Um, yeah, I didn't actually know that. That's did you not? No. That's true. And uh, but the bar's really nice otherwise, not just for urinating. It's yeah. a really nice pub, I want to say that. Um, I do recommend you go in there. Lismore and Partick in Glasgow. Um, yeah, just make sure I still recording there. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> but yes, coming back to the Highland Clearances, so a lot, of the, a lot of the buildings that were left by people, some of them in these remote areas, basically when people came back from the war, the Second World War, uh, people were working obviously hard jobs and they started to go out to the mountains to explore but obviously at that time um, not only was sort of mountaineering uh, knowledge not very well extensively understood among the kind of working class in Scotland um, so they had to kind of make do with, with less infrastructure and resources so yeah they, they basically found these outposts these um, places that were uh, uninhabited so many of them maybe ruins or even just kind of full structures left by people um, Highlanders who had been cleared out of the land and they basically you know commandeered them so uh, as places that they could stay as, as they en- try to enjoy their life in the, with the little time they had off during during the weeks you know um, so it's a really interesting culture and I kind of like to think of it as sort of the working class sort of <laughs> it doesn't really forgive what happened against the Highlanders but as a way of the kind of working class in Scotland to get back at the elite by um, 
um, and I should say against the elites will sort of <laughs> taking over these buildings because yes. I think the landowners there was a response from them initially um, um, yes um Aye, so, yeah, there was a response from the, the landowners initially, which was, um, you know, they basically didn't like the idea of people being in these buildings on their land, but to be honest, it was so hard for them to police that they ended up just letting it go. And I think that, you know, there is um, an actually a really good article about all of this that you can read. Um, let me just see. It's, it's called The Radical History of Scotland's Boffies. It's on tribunemag.co.uk, so I recommend you, you look at that. But essentially, you know, this laid the foundations really of sort of hill walking culture in Scotland among, especially among the working class and probably a lot, you know, led up a lot to the, the freedom of Rome and the Land Reform Act in 2003, which was fought for for a long, long time yeah, by so activists. How long do you reckon that was kind of between folk kind of starting to commandeer these uh, buildings back yeah. and the actual Reform Act well, coming in so that, it would have been like 1945 or late 40s up until 2003, you know, so that's a, that's a 60 year sort of history, isn't it? Like, of, but, but yeah, it wasn't so easy to move around Scotland as it is now, so let's uh, take advantage of it, basically. Yeah, we were saying beforehand, like, you do just totally take it for granted, the fact that you can almost go where you wish. Um, so yes, I, other people should take advantage yeah. of it as well. So the next thing we wanted to highlight uh, after that was um, from, I think it was our episode on... Um, Medieval Square Goes. Medieval Square Goes. And that was, we wanted to highlight, um, <laughs> relevant to that, uh, our s- contemporary stories about serpent and goth issues in the area. <laughs> in fact, David's just laughing uh, <laughs> the side there, so that was one of your early uh, influences from the in the podcast, David, you'll be proud to know. And um, from the same episode, um, I'm sure we segued for it really professionally. Uh, a story about the Vikings pillaging Dumbarton, and us trying to determine whether we'd like to be in Dumbarton now or in Dumbarton at the time of the Vikings raiding it and taking people as slaves. Um, What's your thoughts, David? When would you prefer to be there? Oh, I'd definitely rather be a slave. <laughs> Gosh, man. Well, it's a, it's a good job that you live in a secluded place, mate, because. Uh, People are going to come after you. So I hope you enjoy that um, and you'll hear a bit more from us in terms of highlights after that. Right, yeah. Points really, that you can see. I'm going to need to go back and try and figure out what I was talking about there. But for, if, you can, if you understand what I mean, then please let us know. I put here three types of bats. Is anyone eating them? That's an interesting reference. Yes. Uh, I think I was referring to like. For some reason, if, if we see someone dressed, let's say, you know, at the um, in Glasgow outside the cat house, for example, they're dressed in a black cape and makeup, and uh, I might say, you know, we might somebody might say, uh, what one might say, <laughs> one might say that person looks like he eats bats. Um, might be a reference to the fact that they. Um, you know, uh, pay tribute to golf culture, perhaps, which is fair enough. Fair play to them. Uh, sometimes been described as the the last sort of known group to uh, not receive enough support when it comes to harassment. Uh, the gingers have 
been well and truly supported that. So that's the thing, yeah, because I think all look, look, cause looked lost for the gingers for a long time, but they've been, they've really hit, they've really came back. It's quite fashionable now. Yeah. If anything. Specky as well. Not that yeah. many folk called out for being specky. No, I've been called specky a couple of times, but now it's more of a term of endearment, I find. I've owned it. Um, what else have I got written down here? Um, I've just said, it says page 166, Serpents. That's very, very, very in-depth. I mean, we could talk about one of the... Our friend, Div, who has just a wonderful relationship with serpents and snakes. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, did we talk about this before? No, I don't think serpents have been mentioned no, yet. No, no. I mean, I think, because we had... I kind of started, was it during lockdown? Yeah, there was those, that python that got let loose and... Inverclyde, yeah. He lives across the water from Inverclyde, so he was... We were going for a walk in, in Lake Cardress, which is across the Clyde estuary, uh, which is, a, you know, if you're not familiar, I've, you know, more than a swim. No one can swim that, especially a tropical snake. Ah, apparently they're quite good at swimming. I've right. heard from sources. Fair enough, but I think we can all agree that a tropical snake would struggle to survive in the Clyde estuary. I, I think the... Uh, the temperature would be more than a, of an issue than the, yeah. the, the swimming. So for, for context, on Twitter there was lots of interesting images kicking about of like a tropical snake carcass uh, at like Greenock train station. Um, I think the gate's open, mate. Oh, Matt's just leaped this gate. Oh no, it's not open, is it? That's no. not, you're right, I'm going to have to climb this. There you go. I'm just, uh, every time I see you, can I go to scale something? I get nervous now, because last time you... Yeah, well, chopped your hand off. This is not a barbed fence, so yeah, yeah, the only issue would have been me falling and scalp my head off something. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't it's happen. Not jinx that man. Um, I but do you remember all the pictures kicking about Twitter at that time? Uh, yeah, I do. The snake was fucking massive. <laughs> and then um, the second part of that was um, where in the Vale leaving where we are from, someone had also lost a pet snake. Yeah. This time it was across the water from where our friend Div was playing football. Yeah, I mean, for the first story, I mean, he was worried that this tropical snake was going to make its way across uh, this massive body of water and land to bite him in a park in Cardus, which was quite funny um, to us. And then the second story, yeah, it emerged just a couple of months ago, didn't it? In 2022, it was... Um, if that's the year we're yeah, And... And yeah, so, so, but it was a bit more local. So that happened, our mate sent, because any snake story we hear, we just send it to the chat, obviously, because we want to get a reaction from David, so. It's usually worth it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> that point, I think you said something like, oh mate, that's in, that's in Bond Hill. Yes. And uh, David was like, you're kidding me, man, I'm playing football there later today. Literally, <laughs> across the water from where. Um, yeah, so we were telling them to basically watch the, the white paint on the touchlines in case it was actually a tropical snake. Yeah, the tropical snake we were talking about was indeed very white as well. Yeah, so it was, and big, yeah. But luckily, um, there have not been, as far as I'm aware, any many fatal snake bites from tropical snakes in, in well, the area. I think with the python, certainly, that would have been a, a just eat you. <laughs> would have just straight up eaten you? Would have been a bite? Would have just been a gen? One, one big bite. <laughs> big consumption. Right, well, maybe maybe it's just if you want to be super careful, just watch out for the big tropical snakes But uh, around here. But yeah, so that was in my notes as well. Obviously, that's what I was trying to point reference to. That's some local stories to do with tropical snakes that you won't hear about in the academic journals. Um, 
Oh, is that a Shaft Cashel point? I think it is. That is a point where you are walking towards. We'll find out. I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> some merch on the There go. we go. That's a Neil Oliver out of the crowd. Just try to see where I can pigeonhole that in there. Um, so yeah, as Brifumi describes, uh, in 870, um, Dumbarton Rock was blockaded and sacked by Vikings. Um, they left, um, as they sailed from Dublin, they left with 200 ships full of booty, slaves and prisoners for ransom to sail across the Irish Sea. Um, not uh, a good moment there for those folk in Dumbarton. Nah. Um, for the rough just now, I eh? was going to say, would you rather be <laughs> then or now in Dumbarton? I'd have probably said then. Uh, folk from Dumbarton get angry at that kind of thing. Okay, finally, Matt, from episode five um, on... Uh, I used to swim over there. Yes. Um, <laughs> I know, it's mad. We just called... We just take the piss out of me. Um, on the islands, you're going to hear a little bit of excerpt um, and some genuine facts on uh, how many islands there are. Uh, I can't even remember if, that's, if we're actually correctly... I think it's difficult to... Determined, so it's a rough, rough it's estimate. Politicians answer from you, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, another story from that episode that you'll hear about is um, of Anne Davison, the very interesting English coloniser and sailing record holder. Um, many other interesting things happened to her in her life as well, and as she interacted with the islands of Loch Lomond. Um, and then you'll find here a final highlight, which is um, of uh, the asylums, detox centres, and prisons that uh, existed on the islands. So that's the those, those are the ones we wanted to give another um, bit more airtime to. Maybe start with an overview, Matt. Yes. Um, what would you first share about the islands on Loch Lomond for people? Um, so, I mean, it's kind of difficult knowing how to de- define them, like what are the requirements for there actually being an island. Yeah. I mean, do you include, like, Cranogs and other man-made islands? Um, so that's kind of... It's difficult to define them, but... In the 8th century, Geoffrey of uh, Monmouth, uh, and in the, oh sorry, it was Ninnius in the 8th century, and then Geoffrey Monmouth in the 12th century claimed that there was 60 islands on the loch. Uh, later in the 16th century, historian Hector Boyce, B-O-E-C-E Yeah, uh, and his History of Scotland wrote that there was uh, 30 islands with kirks, temples and houses on them You've read that quite well because that is not how it's literally Yes, well I'm not going to do this 30 illis wheel bigot with kirkis, templis and houses But um, the official chart which makes up the part of the guide to navigation published by the Loch Lomond Park Authority has decided that there's 22 islands which are important enough for a name and there's apparently 27 which yeah. don't have a name so what, 49 in total Interesting. Other owners of, of Inchfad have included the Dukes of Montrose and Charles Collins of publishing dynasty fame so there you go, a lot of famous owners of the islands I think over the years as well um, the island was bought in 1944 and here's a really interesting story about more erratic inhabitants um, has covered um, very well in the book previously mentioned, uh, the Calder and uh, Lindsay book. Um, the island of Inchfad was bought in 1944 by an English couple called Davisons. 
who's set about restoring the farm to working condition. So this is another island that was farmed. Um, they brought up by train from um, Wirral, the Wirral, um, uh, livestock um, and, and many other things. And after they succeeded in getting a working farm on the island, they um, sold it and then they set off in a converted fishing vessel um, which was uh, wrecked off of Portland Bill um, which I, f I could be wrong let me maybe correct this again later <laughs> at the start of the episode as we, after we record but I think that was near, near the island because basically this shipwreck <laughs> from this kind of uh, zesty adventure um, killed Frank Davison and widowed Anne Davidson uh, who later wrote an autobiography called Home Was an Island about their life on Inch Fad as well as Inch Murren which we'll talk about in a wee second um, but yeah Anne Davison very interesting figure by all accounts she in 1953 then went on to sail the Atlantic single-handed and was the first woman to accomplish this she spent her later life in the US I'm assuming yeah we were like did she just get there and then decided it was too much effort to come back? getting back she was like no nah, I'm not doing that again so anyway she, yeah that'll do um, although going on to talk about saying next she, she might have just been chased away if she tried to come back because Calder um, and Lindsay described the Davison couple as quote unquote English white settlers and forerunners of the good life cult whatever that means that uh, not, no. as they recounted their attempts to quote unquote colonise Inch Murren I'd love to speak to the some of the, um, maybe the Scott family or some other people from Inch wanted to get more details on this. Yeah. But, but I mean, by the way, <laughs> the way that these people described, said that they're just kind of like the the, the settlers in, in Americas, composh English people who went across and, well, that's not historically accurate. Please, <laughs> please don't tell me about this. But basically... <laughs> Is anything we say historically <laughs> accurate? <laughs> I don't know. But there were definitely, a, 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 a characteristic of colonialism was definitely some entitled white people going to places where they there were already people and trying to just pretend that they weren't there and just colonise it and I think they basically tried to do that in Inch Murren, from what I understand uh, we are literally chased away and went to nearby Inch Fad um, so anyway well, isn't it? There we go. don't colonise guys it's not so before that was mad the next section is called Asylums, Detox Centres and Prisons <laughs> Matt would you like to take it away uh, yeah so apparently um one point of time uh Instavanich and Inslanig were used as detox retreats for alcoholics yeah um so i'd like to mention here that uh, Inchclonig was sold to the Inchclonig Inchclonig sorry cheers Matt um it was, <laughs> it was sold to the Cahoon clan by the Earl of Lennox in the 14th century um, the Cahoons obviously we spoke about before very prominent family still are and um, the last kind of on the island being Angus Cahoon in the 1920s a break here as more punters walk past us so yeah talking about Angus Cahoon in the 1920s he farmed it and he rode his two daughters daily to school in Luss um, good dad by all accounts um, his ancestor one of his ancestors in the 1830s was said to have and I love the wording in here, again, from this same book we talked about. It's said to have transported and hosted, quote-unquote, persons that were addicted to drinking. Now, I just, um, something kind of like, a bit more sort of fun and jovial about being addicted to drinking, drinking yeah, rather like than being a raving alcoholic. Time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 addicted to having a good time, basically, yeah. And, um, 
Well, I'm not going to read down the podcast, but there's some other very questionable dated language used <laughs> to describe the, the mental asylums that were on these islands and how they operated. Um, but yes, um, about Inchclinig. Uh, Inch um, no C. I have spelt it wrong in one bit of it. And then there is. So Inchlinig. Inchlinig. Thanks, Matt. Um, our note making was a bit difficult this week. Uh, so. Apologies for that But that was that island was claimed by Calder and Lindsay To be the most picturesque in the loch With its high central ridges, valleys, secluded bays And long vistas uh, Running through its forest of yew trees So there you go Sounds like a nice place If only we had a kayak to go out there um, No, we've got the kayak We just don't have the, uh, the clue <laughs> All the gear, no idea Basically um, and also an interesting thing about Inch Lonig. Here we go. Uh, the same authors describe stone tools that have been found here that may date to as long as 7,000 years ago uh, in the Neolithic age, which we covered, didn't we? So that's really the first sort of settlers in yep. the area. Um, not settlers in the Davison sense, but <laughs> genuine like early human inhabitants, yeah. So I think that's just a really interesting thing about how old um, the culture of sort of island living, Kranig living was and how, you know, it was practical, you know not like these days where it's like a kind of luxury thing that you do on a holiday but um, Matt, I'm going to let you pronounce this next place uh, Alien, which is um, not alien, alien yep. uh, which is Gaelic for island so this is just off of Luss, uh, it's a small island meaning Heather Island so um, it was used as a prison at multiple points in time although it might not seem like a bad place to spend your sentence yeah. apparently it can be very very harsh in the winter so uh, if you're going to get banged up there make sure it's in the summer <laughs> yeah and um, interesting tidbit men also sent their wives there as punishment so I mean to be honest by how terrible those men sound it's probably a good thing <laughs> to be honest to be <laughs> trapped in a island away from yep. them I, um, so Inchcroon, which I think we've touched on before. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Inchcroon's naming, kind of the etymology of it and why this is related to it, but um, the isle was used as a mental asylum in the 19th century. Um, so again, you see the language used to describe it in historical accounts and even more recent accounts, such as now, <laughs> um, Calder and Lindsay book, but uh, as a sort of... Um, Place of isolation uh, for those suffering from insanity, whatever that, whatever that means. So, um, fun fact, Matt. Yes. There is a health practice which exists in the Vale of Leaven Medical Centre, the new modern shiny building, which has a mental health service which is called Inchcroon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that can't be a coincidence, surely. But then, oh, surely at the same time, like, that can't actually be allowed. Somebody's went, there was a mental asylum in 19th century. We're going to name our mental health practice after it. Um, I would love I would love it if somebody could describe to me the, the thinking behind yeah. that, because it's just mad, hilarious. But.